He was that link in the chain, but with only one wife, he had to have children to keep God's covenant alive because the bloodline was also the one that protected the covenant that God made with Abraham. Now, let's give a... Oh, we won't have a potted history of Isaac's life. So... Uh, next slide. Don't worry about the, the slides. I'll talk it through. So uh, just so that we have a little bit uh, about Isaac, we heard about his wife. He was born to Abraham and Sarah when they were very old. So his birth uh, was miraculous and he was Abraham's second son. And that is important. And we'll pick up on that later. Now, one of the most famous stories about Isaac is, of course, when his father was called by God to offer him as a sacrifice. God uh, was testing Abraham's faith, um, and you wonder, that must have been a very impactful moment on Abraham's life. He wasn't necessarily a young child. I think uh, so many of the pictorial uh, uh, depictions of that event show Isaac as quite a young boy, uh, but actually uh, that's highly unlikely. He at the youngest would have been a teenager because he was strong enough to carry the wood and if he had objected he probably would have been over, strong enough to overcome a 100 uh, and however many years later year old man. Uh, his bride Rebecca was found for him by Abraham's servant. He had very little to do with it um, and they became as we've heard uh, the father of twins, who then had uh, quite a disrupt... Simon, is there something about brides going on there? I saw the look. Um, uh, so he became the father of twins. After that was conf confrontation and covenant with Abimelech. Um, and he was tricked in old age into giving the blessing to the younger son of his twins. He was tricked by Esau and Jacob, or by Jacob, into giving the blessing that should have been to Isaac, and he gave it to the younger twin. But he was a rich and powerful man. Uh, the reason partly for the confrontation and then the resulting uh, covenant with Abimelech was because he was rich and powerful, and Abimelech realised that he needed to make friends with this guy. And then Rebecca, like most of the wives, we don't know too much about her, as I've said, she became Isaac's bride, but she was found by Abraham's servant. Uh, and so she agreed to marry this man before she'd met him. But we can see from that story, and it's a really detailed story of the way the servant went over to find Rebecca, that God was in that selection and that she willingly went. She could have stayed with her family a little bit longer, but she chose to go with Abraham's servant as I've said, she was Isaac's only wife. Uh, she was the mother of warring twins. And she encourages Isaac to send Jacob away to ensure that he marries a suitable wife and thus preserving the family line and preserving the covenant. But of all the patriarchs, we know probably the least about Isaac. There is only one chapter in Genesis that really has him as the central character. Even the story about him and his father and that potential sacrifice is very much focused on Abraham and not Isaac. And the chapter, chapter 25, that, um, sorry, 24, that gathers 
the story of finding Rebecca is long and detailed, but Isaac barely features uh, in that. But today's passage we're going to look at is the one where they become parents. They've been married for 20 years and remained childless. As I've said, this was a big deal, not just because there was the expectation of parenthood, but because in them rested the family line to preserve the covenant that God had made with, with Abraham. But after 20 years of childlessness, unlike his parents, Isaac remained patient. He remained patient, and his response after 20 years was that he prayed for his wife. He knew that his bloodline was the one that was important, but unlike his father, he didn't conjure up a situation to take another wife and make it happen on his terms. Abraham and Sarah had schemed to provide a son, and Ishmael was born. But Isaac did it differently, and he showed his level of faith. I'm sure he had heard the story of his own conception of that visit to Abraham and Sarah, and how she conceived and gave birth at the age of 90. And you wonder how that moment when his father nearly killed him had an impact on him. He knew the provision of God in that moment. He knew that his life had been saved as God provided a lamb for the sacrifice instead. So in response to the heartache, the waiting, and the perhaps some level of tension in waiting for his family line to play its part in the eternal covenant, we get one sentence. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. His faith does not appear to have wavered over those 20 years. He brings it all to God. And then we read that God answered that prayer. Or perhaps we can say God answered the prayer of 20 years. I suspect it was not just a one-off prayer that he was praying. It is unlikely that that was the first time because we know that his wife was loved. Even though they didn't meet before they married, the Bible tells us that Isaac loved her. And if she was bearing the sadness of childlessness and he was a man of faith and prayer, I'm sure he prayed for 20 years. But if this series is also about what we learn about God, it shows us that God is not in a hurry. There is that phrase that we might see in offices from time to time, the impossible we do today, miracles take a little longer. God does work his miracles. Sometimes they just take a little longer than we want. I'm sure Isaac would have been absolutely delighted to have conceived uh, for his children to have been born earlier in his marriage. But he waited patiently for 20 years. 
Not only does this show his faith, it shows his, his humility. He was rich and powerful, and rich and powerful men in a patriarchal society tend not to have difficulty finding other wives. But his posture wasn't one of control, it was one of humility in bringing his problems to God. And even though he was part of God's covenant and God's promise, he still took them to God. He didn't just sit back and go, well, God's promised it will happen. I'll just let God do that and I'll do me. He persevered in prayer. And God calls us to do the same. We all have things that we need to persevere in prayer and it's not easy. And we may have been praying the same prayer for 20 years, but we continue to bring it to God. It's not because God wants to play with our emotions or because he is hard to reach, but because in perseverance and patience, we are built into deeper relationship with God and we grow the spiritual fruit in our lives. But of course there were two people, two people involved in this. So let's have a quick look at Rebecca, his wife. She is introduced as Abraham sends his servant to go on a mission to find a wife for Isaac. And we know that mission carries the weight of the importance of the covenant between God and Abraham. The servant was understandably a little apprehensive and Abraham had to assure, reassure him that failure uh, was not going to be the last word. It is not an easy job because the wife could not be from one of the neighbouring nations and risk diluting that bloodline. So finding a wife was not an easy route, but God does not always do the easy thing or the expected thing. As I've said, we have a detailed account of this, and if you have time, uh, read through uh, Genesis 25, and as you do so, you will notice how often you read the phrase, as the servant says, the God of my master Abraham. The God of my master Abraham. The servant is pointing everything back to God. He's relying on the God of his master Abraham because it is God who is undertaking this mission through him. We have very little evidence of Rebecca's level of faith at this time. It's almost as, as through all that conversation, the servant is introducing the God of my master Abraham. But as you read Genesis chapter 24, you get the impression of a hardworking, diligent and kind young woman who ultimately reflects the same faith and character of Abraham who left his home and his family at the call of God, as did Rebecca. She willingly goes with Abraham's servant to become Isaac's wife, leaving much quicker than the, having been given the option of staying an extra 10 days with her family. So this wife has been found from the correct family line 
to ensure that the covenant is preserved. And then we hear very little of the first 20 years of their marriage until we read that prayer that Rebecca, Isaac has prayed and Rebecca is now pregnant. And just like so much of the other, of, other bits of Isaac's life, Rebecca takes centre stage, not Isaac. <coughs> the narrative here immediately becomes her pregnancy and a difficult pregnancy at that. We are told that the two babies jostled within her. And I understand that jostled is quite a gentle translation of the word. It could also be trans translated as crashed or struggled. I'm not sure. I've never had a pregnancy, but I don't know what it must be like anyway. But having two babies fighting inside you, I've got a nod. Two babies fighting inside you must be quite something to deal with. But this one is a difficult pregnancy because the babies are already crashing and struggling. This is the second obstacle that is to be overcome. The infertility has been overcome, but then there's a difficult and painful pregnancy. There must have been some level of wondering and Rebecca utters that phrase why is this happening to me after 20 years and knowing the joy of being pregnant she then has a, the pain of a difficult pregnancy and says why is this happening to me and following the example of her husband she takes the matter to God She is immediate and frank with him. There is a direct conversation between Rebecca and God. So having learned nothing of her personal faith, after 20 years of marriage, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac has clearly become the God of Rebecca. But in response to her, why is this happening to me? God replies with words that don't necessarily bring that much comfort. There is no there, there, it will all be all right in the end. He says words that speak not just of babies in her womb, but of nations. He speaks of forthcoming division and another generation where everything will get turned upside down. With the younger son usurping the rights of the older, just as Isaac did to Ishmael. And these are the words that speak to us today. They aren't words just for Rebecca. They are words of prophecy that foreshadow a greater promise and reveal something of the character of God. Something of that character that speaks through the centuries of our, in the pages of our Bible and down through the ages to today. Two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One will be stronger than the other and the elder will serve the younger. 
In that final phrase, the elder will serve the younger, God completely upends the expectations of who would be superior. Up to that point, if anybody said of two brothers that one would be stronger than the other, it would be the older son. The older son was the one who would inherit. It should be the oldest son. But at the last moment of that prophecy, God says something different. I think we can get so used to knowing what comes next that we may miss the enormity of what God says here. This would have been hugely countercultural. And the later laws in Deuteronomy affirm that the oldest son is to be the one who inherits. We maybe can find an excuse that Isaac received the blessing, not his older brother. After all, Isaac was Sarah's son, not Hagar's. But what's the reason here? Isaac and Rebekah, well, they are of the same bloodline. Rebekah is the bride undoubtedly chosen by God. They were conceived even at the same time. There was absolutely no human reason for the second born to be the one who would be blessed. But this is where it's a foreshadow of what is to come. A younger son would be considered to be the one with no rights on his side, just like the widow or the orphan just like the people that Jesus ate with, the sinners and the tax collectors. God in these ancient foundations is establishing a track record of blessing those who the world says should not be blessed. He smashes apart what society expects in this prophecy to Rebecca. It's not just carrying on that theme from uh, Isaac's birth, but it carries on through the ages. Think of David, King David, but he was not the oldest son of Jesse. He was the youngest son out tending sheep, and not even his own family thought that he should be the one so anointed and so blessed. But this is the gospel that Jesus proclaimed. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first, he says in Matthew. God's blessing is not confined to cultural expectations. The gospel of Jesus is that the rich will be sent empty away, the captive set free, the blind to see. And we, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, become inheritors of the blessing we neither earn or deserve. We receive salvation, which Paul says in Romans, came first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. In Isaac and Rebekah and in their twins, God establishes a pattern of blessing those who the world says should not be blessed.
despite so much that might speak in their favour. <coughs> Isaac and Rebecca continue the pattern of favouritism and having a dysfunctional family life with brother pitted against brother. This couple who got some of it right when they turned to God in prayer got some of it wrong when they picked favourites of their twin sons. But God still works through people who get some of it wrong. So as we see the lives of these people who form the ancient foundations of our faith, we see that these foundations might appear a little bit wobbly, but God is at work holding them together. He was at work when the obstacle of finding a suitable wife were overcome. He was at work when the obstacle of infertility was overcome. He was at work when the obstacle of a difficult pregnancy was overcome. And he was even at work when the wrong son got the blessing. This couple is the next link in the chain of God's covenant. But it is a covenant of promise that reaches even to us today. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We are a people who don't deserve the riches of God's blessing. And yet he gives it anyway through the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we are inheritors of the faith. So let us give thanks in prayer. And as we approach the table of communion, we do so knowing that we have received a blessing that we do not deserve. Let us pray. Loving God, we thank you that you are a God that overcomes obstacles. We thank you for this story that inspires us to bring our difficulties to you, inspires us to bring our prayers to you even though we have prayed them before, knowing that you are the mighty God, knowing that you work miracles, knowing that your ways are greater than ours and your timing is not confined to our expectations. Lord, we thank you for the blessings we have received. We thank you for the hope, for the salvation that, we, that is ours through Jesus Christ, that we are inheritors because of him. And Lord, as we live our lives, may we live in the light of that blessing, sharing it with others. May we know your presence in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.